So here we are. We're back in um, our journey through Mark's gospel. And we're, there's, a, there's a continuation here with uh, the story. So we have a chapter break uh, between eight and nine, but it probably didn't even need to be there because it's, it's really just a continuation of the things that have been said. So let me just remind you of the background, set the scene. Jesus was with his disciples. They had gone to the area of Caesarea Philippi. And, and Jesus asked the question to them, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, they, you know, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking on behalf of all of them, he says, you're the Christ. You, you are the, the Messiah. You're the, the one that was prophesied. You're the long-awaited redeemer. And that was the right answer. That was absolutely the case. So Jesus affirms that uh, he is indeed the Messiah. But then, as we saw, he goes on to correct their misunderstanding of the Messiah's mission. So in their mind, the Messiah meant uh, the kingdom of God is going to be established. The Davidic throne is going to be uh, set up in Jerusalem once again, and that, that was their understanding. So Jesus says, well, uh, the mission is going to be different than what you imagine. Before the kingdom will come with power, the Son of Man, he himself, uh, must first suffer, be rejected by the nation, be killed, and rise from the dead on the third day. But then Jesus told them, in chapter 9, verse 1, he told them that there were some that were standing there who would not taste death till they saw the kingdom of God present with power. So Jesus is with the 12, and he's telling them that it's going to be a different idea than they had thought, but some of them standing there would actually see the kingdom of God come with power. Now, because of this, there have been those that have suggested that Jesus got this wrong. That Jesus, he thought the kingdom of God was going to come at that time. That's why he said that to them. But of course, those guys long since died and the kingdom hasn't come. So, so Jesus was mistaken. He was wrong. And if Jesus was wrong about this, he probably could be wrong about other things as well. That's the... That's the conclusion that some draw. And this isn't a conclusion that's only drawn by people outside the church and people who are the open opponents of the Christian faith. But you know, there are some people in the church. Sometimes it's a pastor. Sometimes it's a, it's a theologian at a seminary who would say the same kinds of things. Well, Jesus, he, he didn't get everything right. Jesus was mistaken about some things. Jesus was a man of his culture and of his time, and, and there were certain things that Jesus didn't know. So what some people would suggest today is that, uh, say, for instance, the, the morality that was, uh, the sexual morality, for example, that was um, supported by Jesus and proclaimed by Jesus, that really isn't relevant today. Uh, Jesus, he just didn't know. He, he was a child of his age, and, and so he thought certain things back then, but we know differently now. 
And so there are those who would challenge the authority of Jesus. And my point is they would sometimes use a passage like this in order to do it. So here's the question. How do we respond to those kinds of challenges? Now, first of all, let's recognize that they, you know, for some people, it's not so much a challenge. For some people, it's just an honest question. And, and that's fine. We can ask honest questions. Well, was Jesus wrong here? I mean, he, he did say that, that some of those that were standing there would see the kingdom of God in power. Did Jesus make a mistake? If, if we're just asking sincerely, uh, then... Of course, we want to respond and, and answer that. But, but even for those who are asking with the motive of trying to um, bring into question the authority of Jesus, the, the answer is the same either way. And there is a very simple way to respond to those kinds of questions or those kinds of challenges. And the answer to the question is really in the next few verses. You know, sometimes people will come up with this big, gigantic argument against some aspect of the faith and they think that okay this now this is the ultimate argument we're gonna prove once and for all that the bible is wrong and because this verse right here says this and you know actually you just say to them well if you just read the next verse you would find that um your argument isn't really as strong as you thought it was and that that's the case here but before we look at what immediately follows the statement. Let's look at another thing. Now, Jesus says to them, the 12 that are together, he says, some of you standing here, um, you're not going to die until the kingdom comes in power. Now, among that group was the apostle John. And the apostle John, if you remember, he was exiled to the island of Patmos and it was there that he was given the revelation. We have it written down for us in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. What is, what is the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is the vision of God's kingdom coming in power. So right there, we can see that at least one of them, John, saw the kingdom coming in power because he had the vision that's spelled out for us in the book of Revelation. But probably the, the easier solution to the problem is just to read the next verses. And so verse two says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, John. He led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. That's the, that's the answer right there. Some of you. Now, Jesus had taken these three, Peter, James, and John. He took them away with him. They were in Caesarea Philippi, which is at the base of Mount Hermon. And so they went up to an exceedingly high mountain. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in the whole region. And that is the place where Jesus was transfigured. And what did they see? They saw the kingdom come in power. They saw Jesus not in his uh, humbled state of just appearing like a man, but they saw his glory break through the veil of his flesh. 
And so they saw the kingdom come with power just a few days after Jesus had made that claim. So that's really the answer. No, Jesus didn't make a mistake. No, Jesus wasn't wrong. No, Jesus didn't think the kingdom was going to come at that time, and it really didn't come. Uh, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, and he knew that a few days later, he would go with them to that mountain, and that would happen, and that is indeed what did happen. So, but here we have the story of what we call the transfiguration, and it says here in the passage that Jesus was transfigured before them. Now, the word transfigured comes from the Greek word that we get our uh, English word metamorphosis. It's very similar in Greek and metamorphosis. It's kind of just a, um, it's kind of just an anglicized version of the Greek word. But, but the word means to have a change of form. And so what happened before them is that Jesus had a change of form and as it describes here, his clothing became as, as bright and white as snow. And um, what was taking place, it wasn't just simply that his clothing was made bright, but the, the glory of God that resided in his being, it's like burst forth through his pores. It's like uh, Charles Wesley put it like this, and we sing it in the Christmas hymn, um, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. So that's what Jesus is. He's, he's the Godhead. That's a word to describe the, to, the totality of God. Uh, God as divine. Jesus is that, but veiled in flesh. And so here at this moment, um, it's like the veil is pulled back and they see him in his glory. They see him in his uh, true state as, as deity. And notice that Elijah and Moses appear there with Jesus. And so this is an amazing moment for them. And as we read through the story, we see it, it gets a little bit humorous because um, Peter, who the text tells us he didn't really know what to say, so he just said the first thing that came to his mind, wow, this is amazing. We should make three tents and we can just hang out here forever. That's a paraphrase, but that's pretty much what Peter said. And as, as Peter is bursting out in all this excitement, uh, the Lord from heaven speaks and he says, this is my son, listen to him. Now, we're gonna come back to that um, for our main point here today. But before we do that, uh, let's look at uh, Moses and Elijah here. So Moses and Elijah, very interesting that it's Moses and Elijah. Think about all of the people that could have appeared there. Why not Abraham? I mean, after all, Abraham's the father of the nation, right? Seems like he would have been a good candidate to be here. Uh, what about David? David was the great king of Israel. He was the, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Why not Abraham and David? Why Moses and Elijah? Well, there's a few reasons. But first of all, uh, when you think about these two, well, Elijah, he never even died. In 2 Kings chapter 2, we have the story 
of Elijah being taken in a whirlwind up into heaven in a flaming chariot. So Elijah never died. He never experienced death. He just was taken by God into God's presence in this extraordinary way. Moses, on the other hand, Moses dies, but his death is it's, it's shrouded in all of this obscurity. God says to Moses, go up to this mountain and die there. And Moses did, Deuteronomy 34. And then it says this, and the Lord buried him. And no one knows to this day where the tomb of Moses is because the Lord buried him. So Elijah doesn't die. He goes to heaven uh, via uh, the flaming chariot. Moses dies, but he's mysteriously buried by the Lord himself. And now it's, it's these two men that appear there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in, I think, I think it's Matthew's gospel, it says something interesting there. It says, and they were discussing with him about his exodus. That's the word that's used. They were talking to Jesus about his exodus. Some of the English translations say his departure, but it's the word, the exodus. And so they're talking to Jesus about what he is going to do in the very near future. He is going to exodus this world. He's going to depart from this world and he's going to go back to the Father. But one of the very interesting things about this is that there was a prophecy that was given by Malachi and that prophecy had to do with um, both Moses and Elijah. So the very last prophetic word that was spoken before there was a silence of 400 years, the very last prophetic word, we find it in Malachi chapter four, the last couple of verses. And let me read to you what it says. It says this, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So these are the last words the last words of the prophets before this silent season of 400 years that was finally broken by John the Baptist, this um, had to do with both Moses and Elijah. And so here they are the ones that appear there with Jesus. Now, the reason why it's Moses and Elijah is that they represent the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets, Jesus uses this terminology, he says the law and the prophets prophesied until such and such a time. So this was a way of talking about God's communication to the people previously. So you have Moses who represents the law. It's the law of God, but oftentimes it's referred to even by Jesus himself as the law of Moses. And then you have Elijah who is a representative of the prophets. And so what's really being communicated here is that Moses and Elijah 
they were God's messengers or they represented God's message up until this point, but now a new day has come. And so it's no longer going to be Moses and Elijah, although they have an ongoing connection, but the message now is going to come through the son. So that's why the voice of the Lord says, you know, when Peter says, oh, let's, let's make three tents that we can all dwell here together. Moses, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. God says, no, this is my beloved son. Listen to him, hear him. So now this is the, the primary voice through which God is going to speak now. It's through Jesus. The law and the prophets, uh, brought the people to a certain point, but then the law and the prophets uh, were, were unable to, to move them any further. You know, I was with a friend, uh, Dominic. You saw him up on the screen here. Dominic is a Hebrew professor at Southern Seminary, and um, he loves the Old Testament, as you can imagine. I mean, he's a Hebrew professor, and he studied for his PhD in Jerusalem, and uh, he's fluent in Hebrew, and he just, he just loves the Old Testament. We were having a fun conversation the other night. It was about midnight uh, after we had just finished our barbecue, uh, walking around the streets of Argentina. And so we got in this conversation, and it was a fun kind of, you know, a little bit of a debate, but not really. It was more just fun. Uh, but you know, he's so passionate about the Old Testament. He's like, you know, the, the Old Testament, there's four words to every one word of the New Testament. And man, you know, people need to know the Old Testament. He's going on and on. I'm saying, yes, yes, this is, this is true. I, I don't dispute that at all. But remember, Paul said that if the, the ministration, that's a way of referring to the law, the ministration of death, if that was glorious, how much more glorious is the new covenant? And he's like, yes, yes, you're right. Paul, Paul said that. And um, Raphael, who was kind of overhearing, he, he said to Dominic, he said, you know, if you're going to go out evangelizing, what are you, you going to take with you? You're going to take an Old Testament or you're going to take a New Testament? Well, of course, our Bibles have both in them. But in some cases, of course, a Jewish Bible is just the Old Testament. And we as Christians, sometimes we just have a New Testament that we might give out to someone. And the answer, of course, is if I'm going to go out and, and evangelize, I'm going to give somebody the New Testament. Because the best you're going to get at the Old Testament is you're going to get kind of left hanging on a cliff. You're going to get to the end of the Old Testament and you're going to go, okay, but now what? See, because the Old Testament, by its very nature, is incomplete. It's anticipatory. It's telling you about what's going to come. So the law and the prophets were all the preparation for the Messiah. They were the preparation for Jesus. And so that's why God is saying, that's why these two men are the two out of anybody else who might've been there because they represent the law and the prophets. And the Lord is saying that now it's time to listen to my beloved son. Now, one other quick thing before we go into that point there that I want to emphasize. Um, Moses and Elijah, along with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and every other person that uh, has died in faith, guess what? They're all alive. You see, when, when, a, when somebody leaves this world, and, and of course we use the term death, 
And for us, that means dead, they're gone. Well, they are gone from here, but they're not gone. They haven't disappeared. They haven't, or, or you know, gone out of existence. They continue to live. And Jesus made this clear with the Pharisees. You, you remember, or, or it was the Sadducees actually, who denied the resurrection. And Jesus pointed out to them that God was called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus said, he's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for all live to him. And so, you know, for anyone here who maybe you've had a loved one that has moved on, know this, they're very much alive. They're alive and well. They're just in a different location. And just like the Lord brought Moses and Elijah at his uh, pleasure to come and, and be there at that moment, so ultimately God's gonna bring all of those back as Jesus comes and, and sets up the kingdom. They're all gonna be part of that. But this word, this is where we wanna focus today. Jesus, again, this is my beloved son, listen to him is what God said. Jesus is God's final word. And the author of the letter to the Hebrews made that clear. Uh, the author said this in the very first verse. He said, God, who in various times and different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So, in, in the past, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Now, his final word is through his son. Jesus is the message. He's the message, both his uh, person and his work. That's the message that we have to bring to the world. And listen, as Christians today, we need to remember that that is our message. We're living in a time where everything is so convoluted. Everything is so confused. And if our message is convoluted or confused, then we're not going to help anybody. If we take our message, which is essentially Jesus, who he is and what he did, and that's what the whole New Testament is about, if we take that and we start mixing that with other things, be it uh, politics or uh, philosophy of whatever sort, if we start to mix it, it becomes diluted. And it will lose its effect to some degree. We have to keep the message clear. The message is about Jesus. And as we bring that message to people, And as we keep it pure from all of the other things that can get in and, and kind of taint it, uh, we will be more likely to impact their lives for the kingdom than uh, we would if we, if we get it all mi mixed up with other things. There's a ton of confusion in the culture today, even about what a Christian is. Who, who are the real Christians and, and what do Christians really believe? And, and a lot of people in the country think that, uh, well, Christians believe about this politically. 
And then they make the connection. Well, Christians believe this politically, then that means Jesus is part of this and I hate that, so I don't wanna have anything to do with Jesus. That's our fault. We have to stop doing that. We have to disconnect Jesus from those kinds of things and we have to just present him, his person, his work, Jesus, who is he? He is, he's God the son. John Henry was telling me this morning uh, about a wedding that he did yesterday. He did a wedding, a few hundred people there and the couple that he married were not believers. He met, uh, I think the, the father of either the bride or the groom and they became friends. So he asked if John would do the wedding. So anyway, John did the wedding and afterwards they were sitting at a table and he told me that he was introduced to a woman who was a, uh, formerly a Muslim, and now she happens to be a Hindu. And she made a comment about kind of the idea that, well, you know, all of the religions teach the same thing. And whether it was Muhammad or whether it was Buddha or whatever, you know, they're all basically the same. And John said that, was, he said it was like the spirit just came upon him. He said, well, no, no, that, that's not really the way it is. And, and let me tell you, and he goes on to, um, you know, share with them about the claims of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that Jesus is not just a man, but he is the, the, the God who became a man. And that's the message, the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus. You see, because of who Jesus is, he's in a category all by himself. So we, we don't want to dilute him. We don't want to mix him with some other message. We want to make it clear to people who he really is. Because when a person understands that no, Jesus is actually God, the creator, who became a person in order to redeem us, wow, that clears a lot of things up right there. But it wasn't just his person, but also his work. What did he, what did he come to do? What did Jesus do that uh, Buddha didn't do or that uh, Muhammad couldn't do or that you know, any of the Hindu deities could have never even imagined doing? Well, Jesus gave his holy, righteous, pure life uh, as a sin offering in exchange for us sinners. And then he rose from the dead to show that his sacrifice was accepted and he conquered death. So you see, this is the message. And... God said, you have the law, you have the prophets, now you have my son. And, and of course, the law and the prophets support the case for the son. But the message is Jesus. Now, this past week, um, when we were in Peru, uh, as I mentioned in, earlier, that we flew from Lima to Cajamarca, that is a it's like an hour flight up into the Andes. And one of the interesting things about this particular flight is at uh, any given time, because the weather is really precarious up there, uh, at any given time, your flight could be canceled or your plane isn't able to land so you can't get off of it. Um, so we were pulling up to the airport to leave after we'd been there about 24 hours after the dedication of the school and all that. And we were pulling up to catch our flight. And as we're coming around the corner to, toward the airport, we see a plane flying low and flying right past the runway. And John Bonner says to us, that is not a good sign. And, 
he said, because that, that kind of means that your, your flight probably is canceled. And so we get into the airport and we say, oh, it's a flight canceled. They say, well, they're going to go around one more time and see if they can land. But because of the weather, if the weather's bad, they just won't land the plane because it's too dangerous. So anyway, they uh, said, sorry, can't land the plane. So basically, everybody that was on the plane that was coming to Cajamarca, they're not coming to Cajamarca. They're going back to Lima. And everybody that's in the airport waiting to fly to Lima is not flying to Lima. We're stuck in Cajamarca. So that's what happened. Now, a little bit of a glitch was the next morning, we had to be in Lima at such and such a time to catch our flight to Santiago, to catch our next flight to Mendoza. And we missed everything. And you know, sometimes that gets really annoying when those kinds of things happen, right? Have you ever had those kind of things that your plans get all messed up and it's like, no, this is not what we planned. Uh, but for whatever reason, none of us were bothered by it. We just thought, well, it's cool. We'll spend some more time with John and Pilar and we'll, you know, we'll get a flight the next day and it won't be a problem. And, and it wasn't, it was, it was great. But you know, we got on the flight the next morning and John Chubik, who John's our missions pastor, you know, and John's always saying, you know, I think the Lord has some reason for uh, this delay. So sure enough, we get on the flight and we sit down and, and I sit next to this man who's uh, Chinese um, who begins to speak to me in fluent Spanish, which is a problem because I don't speak Spanish. Uh, but then he immediately recognized I didn't speak Spanish and he started speaking to me in perfect English. So it was all very good. And he was just this wonderful, wonderful guy. Got to know him on the flight. He's a doctor. He's a medical doctor. So he flies up. He's lived in Lima 20 years. He flies up from Lima uh, to Cajamarca to, he has some patients up there. And so that's why he was there. And we got in this conversation. One of the first things he told me was that he had read the Bible. So I just noted that, okay, he'd read the Bible. And uh, then, you know, we began to talk a little bit more. And as we're talking, he reaches down and he grabs his backpack and he pulls a book out. And he says, I wrote this book. And the book is about, uh, uh, I think it's uh, The World Through Chinese Eyes is, I think, what the title of the book is. And he self-published it. And he told me, you know, uh, he's a doctor, so it has some things to do with your health. And he's like a philosopher, so he's kind of telling you how to think about life. And he's got a uh, kind of a section on politics. So it's a four, four sort of parts to the book, you know. So he's telling me all about it. He's so happy to give it to me. And I said, well, that is fantastic. I have a book too, just so happens. <laughs> when I travel, I take a few of my books with me to use, you know, to hand out. And I have a book that I wrote on the uniqueness of Jesus. So I said, well, I've got a book. And so we exchanged the books and we wrote a little bit in each one of our books. And, and then he wanted to know if, if I'm on WhatsApp. And yeah, I'm on WhatsApp. So we're on WhatsApp now with friends together. And, um, but you know, I said to him, all of this lead in to get to the point here. I said to him, I said, you know, so you said you read the Bible. And I said, well, what did you, what did you think when you read it? And, you know, he didn't really, he wasn't able to really formulate any, you know, crystal clear, coherent thing that he took away from the Bible. So I said, well, you know, let me just kind of, let me just give you a synopsis of, let me just tell you what the Bible teaches. And I said, this is, this is the essence of the Bible. This is what it's about. Uh, number one, we human beings were created by God. We were created by God to know God and to live in fellowship with him. 
But something happened. Our first parents, they revolted against God and that resulted in a separation from God. And so all of us come into the world and we live in this state of being separated now from God. And, and so the very thing that we were created for, which is a relationship with God, we're not experiencing that or living it. And, and therefore that is creating all kinds of problems for us personally. And it, it overflows from us and creates problems beyond us as well. And I said, but here's what happened. And, and I said to him specifically, I said, now this is where Jesus comes into the picture because we're separated from God. We need to be brought back to God. Jesus is the one who comes to do that. And he does that through redemption. He redeems us. We have violated God's laws. Jesus lived God's law. And then he paid the price of redemption for those who had broken it. And that leads then to reconciliation. So now we're able to come back and be reunited with God in the very thing that God intended when he created us. And, you know, it was just one of those moments where I could just sense like that truth. He was really listening. He was really weighing that out. And so we talked a little more Then we got onto some other topic. And then, and then again, we kind of came back around and he began to talk about death. He told me that his mother had died a few years ago and he was very close to her and how that hurt him. And, and, and at one point he was saying, we were looking out the window as we're flying over the Andes and we, we ended up talking about plane crashes, which you always do, you know, when you're flying over places like that. And he's like, but you know, I'm not afraid to die. And I tell my people all the time, you shouldn't be afraid to die. And I said, well, you know, of course, you know, we, that's easy to say when you're not dying, but you know, when, when you might be suddenly dying, maybe it's a little bit of a different story. But my point was, but Jesus, that's why he came. He came to conquer death and thus, yes, take away the fear of death. And so anyway, you know, this man grew up in communism this man, very educated, so had all kinds of philosophical knowledge about a bunch of different things. And I could have got off on talking about, I, I don't know, like I'm not like any kind of an expert in philosophy or anything like that by any stretch, but you know, I could have talked about those kinds of things. But it was, no, I got to make a beeline for Jesus because that's where the truth is, and that's where the power is. And, and that's what God said. In the time past, he spoke to the fathers by the prophets. In these days, he's spoken to us by his son. And that's the message that we have for the world. The message we have for the world is Jesus. And so let's remember that, and let's get to know Jesus better. Because the more you know him, and the more you know his words and what he said, and listen, I'm not saying just only read the gospels all the time. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And of course, it's obvious that the New Testament is about Jesus because it starts with the gospels and that's all about uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. But then the, the, the book of Acts is about the spreading of the gospel of Jesus and the, the letters that are written, we call them epistles sometimes, those are all about what Jesus did. It's just the, the giving us the understanding and the application of the work of Jesus. So the gospels give us the person of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament gives us the work of Jesus. And the more we know that and the more we're able to just in conversation express that and communicate that to people, 
That's powerful. And, and that's, God, God uses that. And one last thing, I was reminded this week of how, you know, here's my point. Never underestimate the power of the word of God. Never underestimate it. And if we can, and I, I've shared this recently before too, you know, if we just point people to Jesus, point them to what the scriptures say. So this week I read an article um, that was written about, uh, it was an interview with a woman who is a professor at MIT. Currently, she's a professor at MIT. And it's her story. And so she's telling her story about coming to faith and she's talking about how uh, when she was young, she was a mentally gifted child and you know, early on she thought uh, Christianity is for dummies so I don't really want to have anything to do with that. She felt like she was way too smart for God and just had no interest. But there, her doctor and his wife, they took an interest in her so they invited her to church when she was young and she went to church and she thought it was cute and all but you know, it really wasn't for her. But her doctor was so nice, he kept asking her to come back and she said, you know, she kept turning him down like she had a stomach ache one week and then a sore throat the next week and she said after, well, it got kind of hard to really convince my doctor that I was having all these uh, ailments. Uh, but finally the doctor recognized that she wasn't really into church. So he said this to her. He said, why don't you just read the Bible and see what you think? So she thought, okay, I don't have to go to church. I can read the Bible. And so she started to read Proverbs of all places. And she said as she started to read it, the first thing, she was absolutely shocked because it was nothing like she thought. She thought it was going to be all this hocus pocus stuff, abracadabra, you know, weird magic. She said it was so common sense and, and intelligent and so like, yeah, this is right. These, these things are right. So that, that really impressed her. So then she thought, well, maybe I should just read the whole Bible. So she did. So she read the whole Bible. And as she read through the whole Bible, she got these feelings. She talked about this feeling that even though she still didn't really want God, she just got this feeling of love. So she got through the Bible, she had those feelings, then she kind of put everything aside and carried on with her life and her career and all that. And then she had this thought. She thought, you know, I'm gonna read the Bible again because maybe my first time through when I had those feelings, maybe that's just what happens when you read it the first time. Maybe you're not being objective enough. So I'm gonna go back and read it again and, and I probably won't have that. So she reads it again and yes, she does have it again. So then she gets an invitation to come to church. And here's my point. She's sitting in church and the pastor just quotes these words from Jesus. You are either for me or you are against me. You either gather with me or you scatter. And the one who is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, I will be ashamed of them when I return in glory. And she said, man, that just, that just hit her like a lightning bolt. And she, she just knew that she, even though she still was like, I don't, I don't want to be a Christian, but she just knew that this is true. So she opened her heart, she received Christ, and that, the whole article was about the MIT professor who is a believer, and she told her story there. But the reason I told you the story is because, again, the thing that stood out to me in all of that was the power of God's word. 
And that takes us back to what God said. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Hear him. Now, most of us have done that. Maybe all of us have done that. Let's keep doing that. But that's, that's what we offer to other people. See, that, that's what we're to do. Just, hey, tell them about Jesus. Just look, look for an opportunity. A lady came up to me after the first service. I said similar things. She said, you know, I, I just feel I live in this place. People are older than me. I feel awkward. It always seems weird. I'm, I'm afraid to kind of start the conversation. What do I do? I said, well, listen, do this, pray and ask God to just give you an opening. Just give you an opening. You know, sometimes it's like uh, a door, the door just cracks open and you stick your foot in there and eventually the door is going to open entirely. And, and so we go out with this desire to tell people about Jesus, but some people are naturally... Um, just that, that's not a problem for them. They're, it's very easy for them to talk to people. It's very easy for them to even be sometimes a little pushy and aggressive. And, um, and God uses that. But for others, it's, that's so intimidating. How, do, how does a, a person with a different personality, how, do, how does that person go about it? Well, remember the Holy Spirit will give us the, the empowering that we need, but ask God for an open door and ask him to help you when the door is even just slightly cracked open, ask him to help you to, to push your way through it and just get the, the, the message of Jesus out there. Jesus is God's son. He's the savior of the world. And he died and rose again for us. And sometimes we might even feel like, gosh, this is just so simple. And this is, how's anybody going to be moved by this? Listen, these are the words of God. And they carry within themselves the power of God. So, you know, the farmer who goes out scattering seed, he's got a seed in his hand or a bunch of seeds, you know, most farmers throughout history, they don't know what, they don't know all of the um, details about the seed. They don't know how it does what it does. They just know this. If you throw it out there and it lands in the right place and it gets the right water and everything, it grows. And so sometimes we're trying to figure it out. Well, how is this going to do anything? God knows. So let's just get it out there. This is what God said. He said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And we who have heard him, that's the message we have to bring to others. Jesus is God's son, listen to him. He has the answers. He has the answers for life and he has the answer for what happens beyond life. So Lord, help us as your people, as we go about our lives in this world today, Lord, may we go about as ambassadors of Christ, as those who have heard you and listened to you. And Lord, may your word be um, filling our hearts and our minds and 
So as those moments come, we take the opportunity. Help us, Lord, to speak forth your word. Fill us with your spirit. And Lord, thank you that the power is in your word. And so, Lord, as we look at this passage here, and as we see your word calling us to listen to your son, oh, Lord, we gladly do that today. And maybe for someone here today, they they just need to, to really hear a word from you. Lord, speak that word to them now. And maybe there's someone among us today who has yet to really open your heart to Christ. You know about him. You've heard uh, the story. You might have read the Bible. You might have even had feelings of conviction, but you haven't made the connection. Do that today. Lord, help them to do that today. And so here we are. Thank you, Lord, that we live uh, in this time where you have come And you have revealed yourself to us. And now use us for that same purpose with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.